Morning, everyone. You, you now know that I'm uh, Tim, and uh, I'll be reading the Bible for us this morning. Um, so we're jumping to the last chapter of Acts, which is Acts um, 28. And so what's happened just before Acts 28 is that um, Apostle Paul um, was a, a prisoner on a ship on its way to Italy, but the ship was shipwrecked um, on an island. So that's where we jump in here. Um, but before I read, I'll um, pray for us. Father God, we thank you that we can hear from your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us, and we pray that as we hear this passage, we pray that you would transform our hearts. Lord, would you remove all distractions and help us to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta, The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. And as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. And from there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There... We found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. 
For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against the sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Good morning. Uh, my name's Andrew. If I haven't met you before, it's great that you can join us uh, for church this morning. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Hill. It'd be great if you can have Acts 28 open. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. I'm really excited about Vision Sunday. It does give us a moment to crystallize our thoughts on who God is and what he has done and uh, what our part to play is as his people. Uh, Will you pray with me as we look at this part of the Bible? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that you have spoken to us, that you don't remain distant, but you have spoken to us through your word. And we pray now that as we look at this uh, part of your word, uh, that we might see uh, clearly again who you are and what you are doing in this world. And Lord, recast our vision on that uh, so that we might be people who live for your glory and for your honour. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was May uh, 2003, the US President George W. Bush, he blasts out of, a, out of the sky in a fighter jet uh, that lands on a US aircraft carrier. On the deck, he's saluted by the crew, he tours the ship and he gives this kind of rousing speech. Uh, George W., he declares the end of the war in Iraq. He said, major combat operations are over. In the Battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. And it was all done in, in front of this big, impressive banner behind him that declared, mission accomplished. It was impressive. It was triumphant. It was very American. But as the details went on, we began to realize mission wasn't accomplished. Major combat operations weren't over. 
the United States and its allies hadn't yet prevailed. I, I saw that speech and I thought that aircraft carrier was somewhere in the Persian Gulf, like those planes had been flying off into Iraq, but no, it was 30 miles off the coast of California. Uh, the speech took place in May 2003, uh, only one and a half months after they had uh, set foot in Iraq. It wouldn't be for another eight and a half years before the last American boots would leave Iraq. Uh, the records would go to show that the United States military would suffer 97% of its casualties after the speech. If you like graphs, I think I've got one here for you. That red, the red arrow there is when he gave his speech. That mission was accomplished. Tragically, the mission wasn't over. It wasn't accomplished. Uh, now, over summer, we've had kind of this uh, ticky tour of the book of Acts. And as we've worked our way through, we've seen that it's the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. It's what Jesus has been doing as he's expanded his kingdom beyond the bounds of Israel. As the promised blessing of God starts to flow out to all of, God, all of the people that God has made. Uh, and the book of Acts is it, it's about the growth of this movement of Jesus. Physically, we've seen it grow as it's gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And now in chapter 28, it arrives in Rome. Numerically, we've seen it grow as the church grows from a handful of weak and timid fishermen hiding in an upstairs room to now it's a worldwide movement. Ethnically, it's grown as the people of God has expanded to include all people. And so now as we come to Acts chapter 28, as the Apostle Paul arrives in Rome, can we get the banner out? Can we get the banner out and say, mission accomplished, job done? Well, on one hand, we might be able to say, yes, mission is accomplished. Back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus instructed his disciples to be his witnesses, to be his witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, Paul, well, he's in Rome. He's at the ends of the earth. Uh, he's at the end of the earth bearing witness to Jesus. Mission accomplished? Well, yeah, maybe. But on their hand, we might say, no, the mission is not accomplished. How does Paul arrive in Rome? Well, he's under arrest. He's in chains. He's awaiting trial before Caesar, uh, someone who's going to be famous for burning Christians alive as torches at his garden party. We see the witnesses of Jesus arrested. They're in hiding. They've been chased out of Jerusalem and they're being persecuted all the way across the map. And what about the Jews, God's chosen people? It seems like most of them have turned their back on Jesus, their long-awaited Messiah. He's been, he's been cast off by those he came to save. And so is it mission accomplished or is, actually, is it mission failed? Has it failed at this point? There are some scholars who think that Acts is, ends with failure, that Jesus isn't victorious. Well, if we read Acts chapter 28 carefully, it'll become clear to us. And if we read it carefully, we'll be able to work out where we fit into this story of mission accomplished or mission failed. Uh, now, Acts chapter 28 is Paul's uh, final journey to Rome, uh, and he's heading there uh, to stand trial before Caesar, like we said. Uh, 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 Tim helpfully gave us some context in, in, in chapter 27. Uh, Paul's put on this boat to Italy. Uh, and on this journey to Italy, uh, it seems that almost everything that could go wrong did go wrong. There's unfavorable winds, there's a terrifying storm, there's a shipwreck, the, the boat breaks up on Malta and they wash ashore on Malta and they realize it's not made of Maltesers and that's very disappointing as well. But as they get off the boat and they're washed up on the shore of Malta, Paul is honored by these barbarians. 
And it all seems very strange. And it even says that in the first thing we see in chapter 28. Paul and his traveling companions, they were shown unusual kindness. I have a look there in chapter 28, verse 1. 28, verse 1. Once safely on the shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Uh, it's a strange little story. Uh, you might notice that your Bible there, uh, it, it says, it calls the people on the island islanders. Um, and it doesn't mean like, kind of folks from the Pacific, kind of those big guys who absolutely crushed me at rugby. Uh, no, the original language here is barbarians. Uh, now, these days, we, uh, we use the word barbarians as, as, as like a savage, like someone um, who kind of really backward. But that's not what it meant then. It didn't have a negative connotation. It just simply meant people who didn't speak Greek. And so as Paul washes up against these people who, are, who may be considered to be like a little bit backward because they don't speak Greek, he's given a warm welcome, and quite literally. And so maybe Paul's starting to think after, the, after being arrested and after being put in chains and then being put on the ship and the shipwreck and washing up on the shore, maybe he's thinking, okay, these people are showing me some kindness. Maybe things are going to start working out. Uh, a few years back, there was a turkey that was being transported from the farm to the slaughterhouse to be prepared for Christmas dinner. Uh, somehow the bird fell off the back of the truck and was found injured on the side of the highway. And uh, they, they called the bird Lurky. I don't know why. Uh, but it was taken to the SPCA and was received first-rate veterinary care. And it was sent out to a farm, a sanctuary farm, to live peacefully the rest of its life. Uh, from Christmas dinner to the sanctuary farm. And it's quite the reversal of fortunes. And maybe Paul is feeling like that's what's going on here. Maybe this unusual kindness that the islanders have shown him. Maybe things are going to start uh, coming up uh, coming up uh, smelling like roses. Maybe things are going to be a little bit more cruisy for him from this point on. Well, no. Sorry, Paul. Uh, It's a bit more like uh, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Have a look there in verse 3. Paul's a helpful bloke. So verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it in the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself to his hand. Uh, Now, moments after being delivered from a deadly storm, he finds himself involuntarily shaking hands with a viper. Now, I know this is New Zealand. You don't do snakes. Um, As someone who comes from a country where almost anything can kill you, um, where the most deadly thing is either a tick or a jellyfish, not even the snakes or the crocodiles, um, let me just tell you, it's bad news to shake hands with a viper. It's not recommended. Uh, And the barbarians, as they watch this, they kind of go through this whole range of emotions as they watch what's going on. First, they think, wow, Paul, you must be really dodgy. Uh, Verse 4, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For he has escaped the sea. The God of justice has not allowed him to live. But then Paul just casually shakes the snake off. He doesn't drop dead. And then then, then they begin to think that he's someone special. Verse 5. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people then expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds. And they said he was a god. These islanders, they meet Paul and they're experiencing whiplash. Now they think he's a god. And to really kind of cement his good guy credentials, Paul then heads off and heals the chief official's father, and then he heals all the sick on the island. And so we read in verse 10, They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies 
we needed. Now, I don't know what you expected when you came to church this morning, whether you'd be hearing a story about a shipwreck and um, a man being bitten by a snake and barbarians. Um, It's all a little bit weird, isn't it? It's all a little bit weird. I can't help but wonder why this is included in the Bible. Why is this here? On one level, these people had no reason to be kind to Paul. They had no reason to care about Paul. They had no interest in him, no knowledge of his God, no care for his Savior. They had no part in his journey, and yet they were kind. And so I think these series of events are here for two reasons. I think the first is because we're supposed to see the kindness of these barbarians, and that their kindness to Paul is supposed to be in contrast to the violence of the Jews. You see, these barbarians, these people who didn't even, they didn't even speak Greek. They welcomed God's messenger. They welcomed the one who came speaking about the hope of Israel. But the Jews, Israel themselves, they rejected Paul and they had tried to kill him. And we're supposed to see the contrast going on here. And the reason we're supposed to see this contrast is so that when we read in uh, verse 28, at the end of the chapter, when we read... uh, Paul say, God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. When we hear Paul say that, we believe him. We know it's true because we've seen the way that these barbarians of Malta have welcomed Paul. There's an openness from these Gentiles, an openness that's missing from many of God's people. And the second reason this episode is here is to to show us that Jesus' mission is unstoppable. Nothing will get in his way. So far in the book of Acts, we've seen the kingdom of God. It just keeps going out further and further and further. It's gone out even through persecution of the first Christians in Jerusalem. It's gone out even despite beatings and arrests and even killings of Jesus' disciples. It's just kept going across ethnic and religious boundaries that have existed for thousands of years. And the risen Lord Jesus, he's not going to be stopped because his witness is in chains. He's not going to be slowed down by a shipwreck or because someone's being bitten by a snake. No, Jesus' kingdom will go out. It will just keep going and going and going, and it cannot be thwarted. If you have a look with me, just flip back over to um, uh, Acts chapter 27 and verse 22. Chapter 27, verse 22. Paul is in the middle of the storm on this ship. And as the passengers and the crew, they've given up all hope of being saved. Paul is there cheering them on, encouraging them on. Because verse 22, But now I urge you, keep up your courage, because none of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. And Paul says, so keep up your courage, men. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. You see, Paul is on his way to keep an appointment, and with God's guarantee, he's going to get there. And so shipwrecks and soldiers and swords and snakes, uh, they're not going to stop Paul from taking the gospel to Rome. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be a walk in the park. But Jesus' mission is unstoppable. Nothing will get in its way. 
And so we see after three months on Malta, they make their journey across to Italy on their way to Rome. Uh, Have a look there in verse 11. Uh, We see uh, they head to Rome. Verse 11. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with their figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we sailed and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and the following day, we reached uh, Puteloi. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Now, again, this is an unusual passage. We get this kind of unusual level of detail. We get told the home port of the ship, the figureheads on the ship, the weather details, what happened each day. And do you even notice that we get told uh, it's, it's um, first person plural, we. Uh, Luke is traveling with Paul at this point. We get this detail and it reminds us that this is history. It's a little glimpse that uh, Luke, the author, the book, of, the book of Acts, he's saying this happened. I didn't make it up. I was there. Because remember, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, they are written by the same guy. They're written by uh, Luke, uh, and they're they're kind of like volume one and volume two of the story of Jesus. And at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, he says that he's carefully investigated, that he's written an orderly account, so orderly that he's even captured some of the smaller details of the things that have happened. And the reason is not just so that we can know know the way the wind blows off the shores of Malta after winter, The reason is so that we can have certainty, so we can be sure, so we can have certainty about Jesus, that we can be sure of him and his salvation and his kingdom. And these details are written so that we can be, so we can know for sure that God is doing what he said he will do. And God has done what he said he will do with Jesus. And with these details, Paul is welcomed by the Christians in Rome. As he comes to Rome, these Christians, they're not standoffish. They hear his coming and they kind of rush out to meet him. Uh, Have a look there in verse 15. Verse 15, the brothers and sisters, they they had heard that they were coming and they traveled from as far as the forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. And at, at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was greatly encouraged. Those who know Jesus in Rome... They rush out to meet him, and Paul is welcomed in Rome. Uh, One of the clearest memories I have of growing up is the sound of the garage door opening. I'm not sure what it was like in your house, Uh, but no matter where I was in the house, uh, no matter what me or my siblings were doing, the moment we heard that garage door opening, we ran downstairs to greet Dad as he drove in. Uh, Often we'd be at the door of his car before it even uh, stopped moving, itching to see him, excited to tell him what we had done in that day, lunging to be the first in the car to give him a hug, bursting to see if he had brought us a chocolate frog when he stopped to pick up the bread and the milk. It's kind of what's happening here for Paul. The Christians in Rome are so excited to see him. They rush out to meet him on the road and he is greatly encouraged. Sure, he's in chains. Sure, he's under arrest. Sure, he's been beaten and interrogated and starved and shipwrecked, and even bitten by a snake. But he's been looking forward to this moment. Uh, Paul's actually already written to the Christians in Rome uh, in his letter. 
uh, the book of Romans, or the, the letter of Romans in the Bible, he's written this. Paul said this. He said he longed to see them that they might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And that's what's happening. As Paul reaches Rome, the message about Jesus, it arrives with him. And the message that had been rejected in Jerusalem is now being welcomed in Rome. Which means that the kingdom of Jesus is now well and truly extending to all the nations. But as as great as that welcome is and as exciting and encouraging as that is, it seems to come to a screeching halt when Paul meets the Jews in Rome. Paul first meets the Jewish leaders and he explains to them that he has no beef with them. He has no, uh, nothing against the Jewish people or the Jewish custom. He has no enemy of theirs. And so they wonder why he's on trial. And Paul says, verse 20, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound in this chain. It's because of the hope of Israel he is on trial. Who's the hope of Israel? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? And Paul is saying he is in chains, not because of what he has done, but because these people have rejected Jesus. And this rejection, it's only confirmed again by the Jews in Rome. A large crowd arrives at Paul's rented house. And for the final time in the book of Acts, uh, Paul uh, tells them the message about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. And he uses their own scriptures to teach them about Jesus, to prove that he was the Messiah, to prove that he was the, the hope that they are waiting for. Have a look at verse 23. Uh, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses, from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And how did they respond? We read that some were convinced, but others, it says, they would not believe. They refused to believe. They refused to accept Jesus. Jesus had come to save God's people, yet vast numbers of his people have rejected him. They turned away from him. They crucified him. They rejected and murdered his witnesses. And it makes you wonder, has Jesus failed in this? I mean, even though Paul is in, in Rome, it's hardly a triumphant scene, is it? He, he is in Rome. He is preaching but it's been a struggle. It's not been a victorious march. And it's not as though like Paul is kind of playing to sell out audiences in the forum. It's a bit more like he's something that the cat dragged in, isn't he? He's got a chain around his ankle. This is not a captive audience. This is a captive preacher. And the Jews, they reject him again. Failure? Well, No. You see that Paul explains from Isaiah chapter 6, they've rejected Jesus because they've got calloused hearts and they've got closed ears and they've got shut eyes. They refuse to accept Jesus because they refuse to accept his word. And their rejection of Jesus is actually prophesied by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before, which means that their rejection of Jesus, it isn't failure it's fulfillment. Their rejection of Jesus isn't like God has dropped the ball, but God has been going about his plan all along. And the book of Acts, it does end with that triumphant statement in verse 28. 
Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And for two whole years, Paul welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, hardship and rejection and even failure, it doesn't mean that God has failed. It doesn't mean that God has failed. Don't buy the lie that if you're going to do God's work, it's going to be convenient and it's going to be easygoing and all the doors will open for you and everything will work out nice and neat. Don't buy that lie. Because if we learn anything from the book of Acts or if we learn anything from Jesus' own life, living out and speaking out the good news of Jesus is hard work. It means we're going to stick out at times. It means we're not going to get the rub of the green. And rejection doesn't mean failure. Opposition doesn't mean that God is not in it. And in the book of Acts, time and time again, we see that persecution, it actually produces great fruit. Hard work actually reaps a harvest, we see. And even the rejection of Jesus, what leads to other people somewhere else welcoming the good news of Jesus. We see that God will gather his people. We see that God will establish his kingdom. We see that God will save lost people as as those who follow him bear witness to Jesus. Now, I know that some of you have been sitting there for 20 minutes going, why have you picked this passage for Vision Sunday? Can't you pick something a bit more visiony? Maybe a bit more inspirational? Uh, there's two reasons why I think this is a great thing for us to look at on our Vision Sunday. The third reason is because we can finish off our series in Acts. But the f- other two reasons are, uh, there's two other reasons. The first reason, um, the first reason is we're, we're, we're starting here this morning at the end of the book of Acts with, so as we started this morning, we've asked the question, is it mission accomplished or mission failed? As Paul is in Rome, is it mission accomplished? As Paul is rejected by the Jews in Rome, is it mission failed? Well, hopefully you can, you can see that it's definitely mission accomplished. The gospel has made it to the ends of the earth. Paul has been welcomed by these barbarians. He's been welcomed by the Christians in Rome. And even the rejection of the Jews, that was fulfillment. And it shows us that God is in perfect control. And so Acts 28 concludes with that verse. He, that is Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You think Acts gives us a clear mission accomplished. God has done it. But it's also, the mission is not over. God has done what he has promised, but he still isn't finished. It's kind of why it has that kind of hanging, kind of enigmatic end. John Stott, the English preacher, puts it like this. He says, the acts of the apostles have long ago finished, but the acts of the followers of Jesus will continue to the end of the world and their words will spread to the ends of the earth. So I think the reason why we're looking at this this morning is because it's mission accomplished, but it's not mission over. Which means that for us, it's another year, which is yet another opportunity for us to be speaking about Jesus. To be telling people that God loves them. That he loves them so much that Jesus, his one and only son, died for them. 
It's another year to love people enough to warn them of the judgment that's to come on sin and to point them to the Jesus, the great saviour who laid down his life. And we can do that with a confidence that God is in control that God will do his work, that he will be faithful to his promises, that he will save people as they come to meet the Lord Jesus in and through us. And that confidence, it means that we can speak boldly. That's the thing that really stood out for me uh, when I was reading this passage was uh, Paul's boldness. There's ever a reason for someone to be a bit tired and timid and you know, not want to stick their neck out anymore. Uh, Paul had all the reasons. He was bitten by a snake, for goodness sake. But Paul, he has this boldness. Where does that boldness come from? Has Paul just kind of got up and had a kind of cup of concrete in the morning and he's hardened up? Is, that, is Paul just like really self-confident? You know, he's just, he's looked inside himself and he's like, yeah, I've got, I've got it together. I know what needs to be done. Well, maybe Paul's just one of those people who has one of those personality things going on where he just doesn't care what other people think of him. So he, he just misses the social cues. So he would just say stuff that other people might go, oh, don't say that, Paul. Don't be that guy. Where does his boldness come from? Well, it comes from knowing and trusting the God who's in control. Knowing that this is God's mission and that God will do it knowing that he is on, ultimately, the right side of history. People live in so much fear these days of being on the wrong side of history. And by history, they define like the next 20 minutes on Twitter. There was a role that happened, that, 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 I think it still happens, the king's messenger. The person who would be sent out from the king uh, to take a message to either the enemy or a friend in a foreign country. And that messenger, they traveled with a special passport. No one could touch them. No one could do anything to them. Why? It wasn't because they were particularly strong or they had a really big gun or something like that. It was because they went with the authority of the king. And if anything happened to them, the king would turn up with his army and sort it out. Paul is like the king's messenger. He knows he has the backing of a heavenly king, a sovereign king, a saviour king. And so do we. We know that God will do what he said he will do. That's where Paul's boldness comes from. He knows what is most important and he's committed his whole life to it. And so this year, 2021, at City on a Hill, we're hoping that, it, or we're praying, we're committing that it's going to be a year of living boldly for Jesus. Living boldly like Paul. The year of boldly speaking about Jesus. Of boldly sharing Jesus. Confident that God will do his work. Confident that he will continue to grow and extend his kingdom here in Wellington and throughout the world. Uh, as the band come up, the, the, the song we're going to finish with is All Glory Be to Christ. I know that when it comes to churches and they do their big vision Sundays, it can feel like uh, empire building, a little bit like um, management speak and stuff like that. Uh, but we want to commit to live boldly for Jesus, not for our glory, 
not for the growth of a particular church, not for our own ego, but so all glory will go to Christ. All glory will go to God. As Paul speaks boldly about Jesus in Rome, God is glorified. God is honoured. God receives the worship that is due to him as people repent and put their trust in Jesus.